0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE. What's up, Raider Nation? For those of you that don't know who I am or don't recognize the sound of my voice, my name is Matt Holder. I'm one of the new contributors over here at Silver and Black Pride and I've been writing articles for about a month now, so hopefully you guys have had a chance to check out at least some of my work. But I'm here today to talk to you guys about what we got going on on the podcast side of things. Now, some of you guys already might have tuned in to the, episode, the first episode of Tape, Don't Lie that released on Sunday after the Seahawks game. I'm a big fan of Tape, Don't Lie. B.D. Williams and, and uh, Marcus Johnson are a couple of my good friends in this industry, and I know they always pump out great work. They're going to be doing three, thro- three shows a week, and I'm going to be joining them for the post-game recap show that's going to release the day after the game, just like how this one did against the Seahawks. Now of course, Bill's gonna to continue to do his solo podcast and I'm gonna be doing a couple solo pods myself. On Mondays, I'll give you guys my five takeaways from the game before. And on Fridays, I'll release a show that goes over all the new segments of the week and gives you a little preview for the game heading up. With that, let's kick things off with the first episode of what I'm calling the Holder's Handful because I'm gonna give you five takeaways from the game on Saturday or the preseason game against the Seahawks. The first and biggest takeaway for me has to be my guy Nathan Peterman. Let's be honest. The first thing that comes to mind when you hear the name Nathan Peterman is his abysmal performance or his abysmal debut against the Chargers that was four years ago now where he threw five picks in the first half. But you got to give the guy a lot of credit. He's been with the Raiders for, I guess, two and a half years now, depending on how you look at when he uh, first signed with the team and since it was late in the year and what was it, 2019. And he's done nothing but sit there and grind. Now, last season, he didn't get a chance to prove what, what he's been doing and the growth that he's made because there was no preseason due to COVID. So Saturday was really the first chance we got a good look at what Nate Pete can bring. Obviously, with Marcus Mariota going out, Peterman had an excellent opportunity. He was going to play the whole game. He was the only quarterback on the roster that really knew the playbook. And this was his perfect chance to prove to everybody, prove to the world that the, guy, that the demons that were in his past are gone. And that's exactly what he did. I mean, Peter Ben was dropping dimes down the sideline to Zay Jones, throwing back shoulder throws on the money, taking command at the line of scrimmage, setting the protection, changing the play, and he even showed off some pretty good feet and movement in the pocket to go pick up first downs when the pocket started collapsing. I mean, I just have so much damn respect for this guy. Think about it this way: he goes out in his first NFL performance, and it was as bad as it could be. How easy would it be to just be like, you know what? I got drafted. I put my name on an NFL contract, and then I had that performance. I, I'm good. I'm hanging them up. You know what? This maybe just isn't for me. At the end of the day, I can still say I played in the NFL. Probably would be pretty easy. Probably what most people would have picked. Honestly, probably what I would have done. But I give the guy a ton of credit for sticking with it, going out, dropping the performance that he did yesterday, where it had 10 incompletions. Three of them were drops per PFF. And then the other incompletion was an interception that he threw when the right tackle got destroyed in pass protection and he got nailed as he threw it. So it wasn't even his fault. And in fact, the guy only had six incompletions that were his fault. To me, is an extraordinary game for a guy that's faced a ton of adversity and has basically shown more than anything on Saturday that he's just mentally strong. And it t- speaks a lot to what uh, to Coach Gruden too, as far as his development of quarterbacks. Because again, they didn't come in much worse than Nath Peterman did, and he went out and had a performance that I think any Raider fan should be proud of. All right, we'll move on to my second takeaway, and I'm gonna try and sandwich the good and the bad in here with you guys. Those of you who followed my podcast before, Fly Sweep, rest in peace, know that I like to keep things balanced. I like to go with the good and the bad. So I'll I'll create what we call a a little positive sandwich here, and I'm going to go a little bit negative on this next one, and that is that the Raiders have a backup offensive tackle problem. Brandon Parker is probably their best backup tackle right now, and I don't mean to say that as like that Brandon Parker is, you know, somehow gotten a lot better since his rookie year. Now, he has gotten better, but I mean, he was like the worst offensive tackle in the NFL that year, so kind of nowhere to go but up, but it was just that bad across the board. And Brandon Parker was the best tackle on the field for the Raiders on Saturday. Now, and when I think you go back and look at this game and see how John Gruden was calling the game, I feel like you can tell he kind of knew this was coming. You know, it seemed to be that there was a lot of play action, you know, that kept one, two, and sometimes even three eligible receivers in to block. And it just didn't feel like he had a whole lot of confidence that the offensive line could hold up on a true pass set and sit there and go back and block. And I think he was justified. Patrick Omame and Jared Jones-Smith each gave up three pressures, and Jones-Smith ended up accounting for two out of the team's four sacks. And I'll be honest, when I watched the game, I felt like both guys had their feet stuck in cement when they were trying to pass block. Now, it's not the end of the world, because I know Omame has some experience playing guard, and Jones-Smith actually did some good things in the running game. But if Colton Miller or Alex Leatherwood end up going down and the Raiders' options are Brandon Parker or either of those two guys to come in and come off the bench and play tackle, I'd almost rather see the Raiders just kick Denzel Good out to tackle and then put John Sinsman in the game. At least personally, I felt like on Saturday, the interior guys held up pretty well in pass blocking, but when the Seahawks' uh, speed rushers really wanted to and get up, could get up the field against five-man pass protections for the Raiders, they kind of had their way. It felt like most of the pressure was coming from the outside. Now, of course, we still have two more preseason games to get this sorted out, so not the end of the world, but all I'm saying is I wasn't too happy with what, the, what I saw from the offensive tackles on Saturday. Moving on to something a little bit more positive, Cleveland Farrell. Now, outside of maybe Derek Carr, I don't know if there's a single player on the Raiders roster that's facing more pressure than Cleveland Farrell this season, right? He was a top five pick. He enters year three, where at the end of the year, the Raiders will have to decide if they're going to pick up that fifth year option on him. And the whole reason why he struggled and the whole reason why he got demoted to the second string is because of his pass rush. Well, on Saturday, he looked like a hell of a pass rusher. The guy had 12 saps, or 12 pass rep snaps, I should say, and ended up getting pressures on three of them. And beyond any sort of metrics or anything like that, any sort of stats, I felt like he was constantly collapsing the, po- the pocket against Seattle. Now, We do have to take this with a little bit of a grain of salt or scale back expectations a little bit because it was Seattle's second-string offensive line and just ask Russell Wilson what he thinks of their first stringers, right? But at the end of the day, Cleveland can't control who he lines up across. He can't control how well he performs, and he absolutely dominated on Saturday in the few pass rush snaps that he played. He was one of the highest PFF-graded edge defenders of the week and ended this game with an elite pass rushing grade in the 90s. An absolutely brilliant performance that's hopefully a sign of things to come from Cleveland Farrell. Moving on to number four, Marcel Aitman's days as a Raider might be numbered. Now, when the Raiders drafted him a few years ago in the seventh round, I was absolutely thrilled. I thought they got a steal, they got a 6-4 receiver, that was excellent in contested catch situations from Oklahoma State, and... You know, his career, he kind of got off to a pedestrian start, kind of what you would expect from a seventh round pick, right? You know, floating around the roster bubble, fighting for some playing time, had some moments in some games, but nothing that really encouraged us moving forward. And on Saturday, it might have been his worst game I've ever seen. He had a drop on a beautiful back shoulder throw, and there was one play that stuck out in my mind, where it was a boot rollout that was clearly designed to be a pass to him, and as Peterman was rolling out and looking to throw to him, Aitman's got his back turned to the quarterback as he's run blocking, so he obviously didn't know what the play call was or got it mixed up. And this is what, year three in this offense for him? Not exactly what you're hoping for. He ends up finishing the day catching two balls on five targets for 14 total yards, which, especially when you're competing for a roster spot and a guy like Zay Jones is on the other side of the field just killing it, not exactly comforting to see, and he was probably one of the worst Rangers receivers out there on Saturday. All right, we'll end things on a positive note, and that is Gus Bradley's system, to me, is already starting to pay dividends. We've talked about it during training camp. It probably was even discussed when Bradley was getting hired, but his system is just so much simpler than Paul Gunther's is. And, I mean, going back and looking at the game, I can only really remember one coverage break. Now, unfortunately, that led to the one Seahawks touchdown, and it just felt like guys were more comfortable. Everybody was keeping stuff in front of them. That didn't seem like, you know, there was a whole lot of, finger pointing in the in the secondary where guys are trying to figure out who's at fault and who should be covering guys which is a lot of stuff that we saw with Paul Gunther and it's encouraging to see hopefully we continue to see that because if the seconds and the twos are doing that that's got to mean the ones are up to speed as well so hopefully we continue to go see this growth from Bradley and his system and watch the Raiders defense finally finally make some tremendous strides other than that Make sure you're following Silver and Black Pride on Twitter and make sure you're following myself at mholder95 and I'll talk to you guys again on Friday.